Town Hall Academy, episode 82. And find out where the holes are and really work to sure those up. Is it going to be perfect? No, it's like having kids. You'll never have the perfect time to have kids, but you can certainly build a stronger foundation. It sounds common sense, but you'd be surprised how many of us grew without going through that exercise. Welcome, automotive aftermarketers, to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hey, hello, welcome to Town Hall Academy, episode 82, released in the last full week of August 2018, as North America says, goodbye to summer. This is a perfect bookend episode that connects with Town Hall Academy, episode 75. There we talked. Am I ready for my second branch? Back with me for another great summit is Dwayne Myers, Brian Sump, and Craig Bunch. If you're planning to grow or will include expansion in your three-year plan, this long-form audio podcast is for you. We take episode 75 up a notch, and we're talking acquisition strategies. Hi, Carm Capriato here, thanking Jasper Engines and Transmissions for supporting your free access to the Town Hall Academy. Your customer's old engine or transmission is going to wear out, and when that day comes, Jasper will be the name to remember. Jasper's remanufactured products cost considerably less than a new vehicle, so it just makes sense to choose Jasper for your customer's drivetrain needs. Hey, I'm looking to connect with you socially, be it Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find where I hang out on the web at remarkableresults.biz slash social. Also find the link to my newsletter where you will stay up on every new release. Now let's talk acquisition strategies. The panel includes multi-shop owners Greg Bunch from Aspen Auto Clinic, Colorado Springs, and Denver, Colorado. Greg is also the CEO of Transformers Institute. Dwayne Myers is here from Dynamic Automotive, Frederick, Maryland, and Brian Sump, Avalon Motorsports, Denver, Colorado. They're all MSOs, multi-shop owners, and have additional growth plans themselves. Hey, the key talking points already done for you, sitting on the show notes page at remarkableresults.biz slash A075. Use them as a to-do list. Catch the wisdom from this panel as they cover negotiations, scouting leads, approaching sellers, financing ideas, and a whole lot more. Another power-packed aftermarket lesson for the forever student. Now enjoy the Town Hall Academy Acquisition Strategies. Now that we've made a decision, let's let's go back to episode 75, week 75 of the Town Hall Academy. Okay, you got me hooked. Uh, I, I think I'm ready to grow. Now that you've made the decision to grow, Dwayne, uh, tell me how uh, implement in more depth. I mean, that's where we want to kind of go. We've got a lot of subjects to cover. Don't have to take notes because, as you know, when we release this podcast next Wednesday, all the notes that we talked about will be there for you. So you can just kind of go clip, copy, and paste and build your own personal action plan. Frankly, we are going to give you today a lot of things to think about. And based on these gentlemen's uh, great experiences, or let's call them wisdom. So um, what do you, you, you need to build your team. You've got your uh, team. In, you're, you're really trying to prepare yourself for growth. Am I right, Dwayne? You're dead on. You, you got to build your team. That's, that's the most important thing. There's no way you can run both stores, a third store, a fourth store. You need to build your team. And you got to get them on board and let them know, you know, we're going to grow and it, it produces opportunities. I always 
tell people to train your replacement because you're moving up. We're all moving up. So to put everything into uh, the person that's below you, that, that way when the opportunity comes, you know, someone can fill your shoes so you can move on to bigger and better things. I, I also believe you need a set system of SOP. You need to know exactly how everything is done. So that way it's easily copied. If you let it go on its own, it, you will have multiple different stores instead of one, one company with four locations. So it, it's important to have a strong uh, standard operating procedure and, and it's, it takes time, but it's worth it. And you need, you got to start and you need to really start before you do your second one. We didn't, <laughs> we paid for it. Uh, we had to go back and re-engineer and we're still working on it, you know, but I recommend anybody that is going to venture to a second one, start working on procedures. You need a strong procedures so people know what to do. I, I got to give high fives to Dwayne. Um, I would work for you by the way. Because I, I, I love your style. Welcome I love aboard. your passion for people. Okay? <laughs> and I just do want to encourage the audience, if you find any redeeming value from today's uh, podcast, uh, and, and I know you will, and you find that team could be a big challenge, go to the website, type in Dwayne Myers, and listen to everything Dwayne and I has done and everything that Dwayne has done in a panel. He is a consummate team people developer. And, you know, that's kind of, if you will, your role here. And and I, I just love the things that he's done. And I really encourage you that if you need some motivation, some support, some help, some ideas, please go listen to everything that Dwayne has contributed to the show. And he is an incredible contributor. Thank you so much. Somebody told me yesterday he's a rock star. <laughs> That's what you're doing. <laughs> That's his nice job. Oh, and, uh, like, like I told you, I've been caught a lot of things, but that was a first. <laughs> De- definitely. And Carmen, uh, you know, we can meet on September 9th. We're going up to Hershey Park in Pennsylvania. We'll meet in the middle and hammer out a compensation package and have a good time with the whole team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd like in on that deal if possible. Wow. Yeah. Um, Greg, would you be my agent? Yes, yes. I'll take a small cut. A small 40% cut and you're in. Oh, oh, the first year, only the first year, Carm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, look at so. But 40% of 10 million is a good deal. So oh, what a deal. 60%. Thank you very much. So, so you know, uh, the thing that I, I was listening intently to what you said, Dwayne, and I know somebody's going to be sitting out there saying, wow, build my team, select my person, but I got to keep it quiet. And there's a confidentiality issue that has to be the umbrella. Guys, I, I would love all of you to chime in on the value of confidentiality moving forward with growth. I'll chime in a little bit on this, Carmen. You know, we, we just we had just submitted an LOI to acquire our third shop about 30 days ago. Was not accepted. Um, and sometimes you're going to go through that if if you if you follow your game plan the right way. But um, you know, when you, when you typically, when you look at an acquisition, especially if it's through a broker, a listing broker, they're going to have you sign an NDA, non-disclosure agreement. It's very common. It's very typical. Now, and, I, and you do want to honor that because you want to honor the seller and his team, but you also want to honor um, the transition and make it as smooth as possible. We do tell our key leaders in stores because they, it's crunch time. If you make an offer, you're potentially 60 to 120 days out from having another store. And your team needs to be uh, strategically 
processing. And we also will tell the, the team further down that, hey, we're active in pursuing an acquisition right now. We can't tell you the details of where it is, but you need to know, like, hey, it's, it's game time. I mean, the Super Bowl is right around the corner. Uh, but we do ask the key leaders that do know, they might know the location. You've got to have the, the, the strictest amount of trust. And it's not a bad idea to have a contract with them, too. So I need you to sign this piece of paper. And it, there's an extra layer of, of uh, honesty and integrity that comes with that, I think. But it's important for them to know what's going on. Carm, I think you were talking about is if people know that we're in acquisition mode, <clears throat> they see dollar signs. Uh, they think, hey, you know, uh, Aspen Auto Clinic's on the move. They're looking for more, more locations. I can get top dollar. I know that I've talked to people that um, have entertained offers um, from big, you know, big corporations, big consolidators. And they certainly look at it that way that, Hey, they got really deep pocketbooks. Um, and so what, like, like Brian said, once you're, once you're in those negotiations, the cat's out of the bag, they know who the potential buyer is. But, um, and the other thing, I think this probably happened to Brian a little bit with this last LOI, um, the guy was able to leverage the new buyer and say, Hey, we've already got an offer on the table. If you want this thing, you know, you're going to have to make a full price offer. And it worked. They, uh, his competitor there made a, made a full price offer. So somebody had told me a story and I, I, I hate repeating stories that I don't verify, but something about Walt Disney that uh, he used a bunch of shell corporations and kind of hid the fact that he was buying up the farmland to build Disneyland because he knew that once, once farmer knew, one farmer knew that it was Walt Disney that, and what he was going to do, then everybody else would raise their prices. I heard that about Disney World. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Disney World. Yeah, Florida. He bought. He bought what? Yep. Half the state, right? Right in the middle. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think it's important that we clarify the acronym of LOI. That's letter of intent, everyone, and and that's what happens when you make an offer, and you go through legal channels and you spell out everything. The NDA, the non disclosure agreement. You know, you had. Uh, did, did you mention Brian that you put your key? Did you put your key people on an NDA just to just to put a little, if you will, latch on on the cabinet? You can. I mean, it's just like it's just like at a friend imparting uh, something to you, and you go home and tell your wife. I mean, you, your or your spouse. I mean, you're going to trust that person, but whatever means you've got to take to make sure that it stays confidential. And if you're kind of not sure that person kind of has a a chatterbox, you know, your leader does, then you might want to institute something like that. Say, this is a legal process and you need to abide by it. If you can trust the person, then trust them. I'm with Ron Haugen of Westside Auto Pros. Hey, Ron, why purchase a Jasper engine for your customer's car? Uh, the, the main reason we use Jasper is is they're known for quality and we're known for quality. They line up with my company and my, and my company's commitment to our customers uh, you know, as a product, they're committed to me. Hey, Ron, are customers investing in their vehicle today? Absolutely. You, you know, we, we see the surveys from, from AAA and, and, and all the different people out there where the average age of a car on the road is 11 years old. Some are even saying 12 now. Uh, when you think about that, for every new car sold, that means there's a 22-year-old car being driven on a daily basis. To me, that's amazing. Uh, the only way we get an average age of a vehicle on the road like that is because people are reinvesting in a car. And, and I think the reason they're reinvesting in a car is, is the cost of a car. I mean, cars are thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars. You know, why not drop four, five, six, eight thousand dollars into repowering the vehicle and get it back on the road? Hey, Ron, thanks for your insights on Jasper. Thanks for asking. 
Hey, how do you get a lead? I mean, okay, we figured out what we want to do here. We've got some confidentiality things running. Now we need to go out and hunt. Hunt. That's a good way to put it, Carm, because there's hunting and there's farming. So uh, probably all of us are on a master list. I know probably once a month I get a flyer, I get a letter from a uh, from a broker, assuming that I'm in acquisition mode. That I, you know, I'm already a multi-star owner. He's probably looking for more locations, which is correct. Um, but so that's that's kind of the the piece where they're coming to you. But understand, you're always going to pay a little bit more. The, the brokers are always, they're paid to maximize the value of the shop that they're representing. And if I ever sell my shop, I would want the same thing. So it's, it's not bad. It's just understanding that's the way it is. And then there's the, the hunting piece. And that's where, you know, I think we talked a little bit about it in our previous episode. Um, all my parts vendors know, my tool vendors know, my insurance guy knows. You know, every time I meet with them and they take you to lunch and, hey, how are things going? Hey, by the way, you know, if you ever hear somebody looking to retire, get out. Because they're kind of the bartenders in the industry, the oil distributor, the BG distributor. All of my uh, sales reps that I meet with on a regular basis, they all know that I'm in, in that mode. And so when they hear chatter out in the industry, in fact, I literally got a call yesterday from a tool, I'm excuse me, from a parts vendor said, hey, I know of a, I, I just heard of, you know, somebody said somebody that the shop was going to be for sale. And I said, tell me about it. Now it's not in an area that I want, but it may be a great fit for one of my clients uh, up in Denver. That's also in acquisition mode. So, um, and when you get those deals and the broker stays out of it, you're probably going to get a better deal. So Dwayne, you really need to tell people in a confidential way that uh, you're, you're, you're ready. Well, I think you can brand your company as, as one that's growing, you know, there for years, you know, after we opened our third store, you know, the story that's on the old, old podcast, you know, I was anti-growth for a while. I was stung pretty, pretty bad. But as I changed and, and improved and, and improved the team, you know, when I go to a public event, if I speak, if, if we go to a community event, I always, you know, talk about dynamic that we are a growing company and we're developing our team, you know, and just put that mindset. So when they think of us, they think of us as that. And then it, you're out, it's out there. You don't have to put your hand up and wave, hey, I want to buy your shop. They're, I feel that they're going to come to you. And that's what I've seen happen. They say, well, they're a growing company. Go talk to them and see if they're interested. And then a lot, of, a lot of shop owners really care about their team. And they like the fact that if they pass it on to someone, that their team will be taken care of. And if you become part of the dynamic automotive family, you will be taken care of. So I think that also helps and it brings more uh, opportunities your way and maybe even a, a better value because they're willing to give a little knowing that the value they're getting is a team that's taken care of that they've been with for years. I like that. Uh, just to speak to that real quick, um, you know, as a shop owner that would sell, I know I would rather sell to a Dwayne Myers and a dynamic than a pet boys or a, or a franchise or a big corporation that, uh, may not treat and take care of my employees and, and the culture that I've built and the way my clients are treated. So there is a lot of value in what Dwayne's talking about that, you know, when you have a stellar reputation of taking great care of your people, you're going to make that new, the owner that's looking to sell gravitate toward. All right. Am I back? Yeah. But I think, I think we got the gist of what you're saying and, 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 and I love it. Did you ever see the press releases from companies that says, hey, here's the reason we sold. Yeah, it was time for us to get out and move on, but we know that our people are going to be happy inside the culture of the new company, and our customers are going to be taken care of. Huge, hugely important. Wouldn't that be a hard uh, 
a hard sell to have to walk into your team and say, Hey, I'm selling you to this big guy that doesn't care about you. That, that would really gut me out. And when I, it would, it would hurt a lot of people. That's a, that's a conversation. I mean, we've all had tough conversations. That would be a hard one to have. Yeah. And you know, I've, without talking about my my all my background and all my years in industry um sometimes it's pretty tough to get up and and be the the person who's the who's buying and 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 tell this team hey uh we're gonna we're gonna downsize it up so we're gonna we're gonna make changes smaller company more independent more dynamic uh, the stronger and more powerful the message And, and and it ends up being real guys we we need to sit down with our advisors to help us with this. Am I right? I mean, do we really need to talk to our lawyer and accountant and get some of their feedback before we march forward? Yes, but I'm going to put a little caveat on that. Uh, lawyers are paid to say no, and accountants are always uber conservative. So, and I talk about this in my uh, growth and expansion class that you need to take their advice, but understand you're the entrepreneur, you're the one that's willing to take risk. Uh, but they are going to tell you every single possible pitfall you're going to walk into. And it's obviously you need to listen to them and you need to understand that, but they're paid to keep you out of trouble and buying a shop is going to cause trouble. So understand that, that if you have a very conservative team on there, you'll never grow. So it's good to listen to their advice, but you have to take it in, in context that you're also the entrepreneur that's willing to put some money on the, on the line and risk to grow your company. If my books aren't crystal clear, am I kidding myself? Absolutely. Yeah, that's foundation 101 is uh, making sure you understand your finances, your KPIs, your profit and loss statements, your balance sheets, your cash flow. If you don't have a really good handle on that, that is absolutely foundation one. I tell people, you know, a lot of people bought, built their shop kind of like a, a mobile home or a, or a small single family home. They The foundation is there, but it's not, it's not solid. And understand you're scraping that building off and you're going to build a, an apartment building. You're going to build a fourplex and the foundation that you were on is not going to sustain what you wanted to build. So, you know, we, we recommend doing a, a SWOT analysis. You and I talked about that on your foundation and find out where the holes are and really work to sure those up. Is it going to be perfect? At, no, it's like having kids. You'll never have the perfect time to have kids, but you can certainly build a stronger foundation it sounds common sense, but you'd be surprised how many of us grew without going through that exercise. Great, great point. Uh, Greg brought up SWOT. Go to the website, type in SWOT in the search bar, and and listen or watch that episode that we did. Uh, it was uh, it was last November, if I recall. Yeah, I was at, I was at the SEMA show. Yeah, and, and I was at, I was at Apex. <laughs> I went to Frank Scandura's to use his conference room to do it. Yeah, it was, I remember that. Yeah, remember? We had dinner together. It was it was a great event. Thank you for that. And uh, SWOT, really important. You get a great handle on the business and get the feel from your people as you are building your strategic plan for growth. And it, I think it really helps you realize uh, the opportunities, the uh, uh, the weaknesses, the the strengths, and the threats that you have in your business. Uh, one other thing, uh, as far as an advisor, guys, uh, good relationship with your banker? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, talking about finances, I think Greg touched a little bit on the understanding the, the state of your current business and your ability to acquire. Um, when you start involving CPAs and your bankers, it's really about, in my opinion, it's about can we get this deal done? 
See, when you, when you acquire a shop, you, you need to make sure that your existing stores are healthy. We talked about that last time. Dwayne touched on it a little bit this morning. Um, your DNA being in those stores, the financial ability of that store to uh, sustain itself. But when you're talking to these advisors, it's, what does this deal look like? What is my debt service going to look like? What is paying a three times or a three and a half times or a two times multiple on seller's discretionary earnings look like? What's my debt service? How much should I be paying in taxes uh, on my net profit? And, and, and is there going to be enough left in this new shop at the end of the day to make me feel good about acquiring it over a 10-year amortization on the debt service? So when you start thinking about, yeah, what's our, what's our financial position? Ultimately, a bank's going to say, you got to come up with this much money down. Do you have that? And after that happens, it's all about debt service. And it's all about the ability to service the payments and still have cash left over once you've done that. So if I'm looking for property, if it's either, you know, greenfield, uh, nothing on it, or maybe even to buy an abandoned building, get a realtor, go out and start driving the neighborhood. <laughs> uh, I'll take that one. A lot of us found our house, just like you're talking about. Um, Commercial, excuse me, uh, residential real estate, That think of that as the big fluffy pillow. Uh, there are so many laws and regulations around purchasing a home because the government knows that we're all ignorant and you know we just fall in love with a house. So there's lots and lots of laws to protect us. Commercial real estate is truly a gloves off, you better know what the heck you're doing uh, battle. And uh, one of my best friends, I called my Colorado dad, uh, is a is a high level commercial realtor. He was a M and A uh, expert with uh, Bendix. He was an executive there, so he knows the game. And just so many times, people get burned by not reading through contracts, not getting the right people on their team. Um, you know, leases that are signed that make the the make you responsible for replacing the air conditioners. And even he said one guy had to. Re- $40,000 to replace the roof on his building because he didn't uh, read through his lease and find out he was responsible if the roof ever, ever leaked, he had to pay for it as the tenant. So um, I'm a very big believer, not just having a realtor involved, if there's real estate involved, but having a high level realtor, someone that knows the game, has some gray hair um, and, and played ball in that arena. It is not, don't, don't grab your, your residential realtor and say, Hey, can you help me buy a shop? That's uh, your, that they just don't know what they don't know. You want an expert. Yeah. And I, I'd even add to that. I like using a realtor and we, we've built relationships with a couple of leading commercial realtors because Greg's right. You know, com- commercial is completely different. Uh, I also use a contract lawyer to read over anything before we sign it. Uh, Absolutely. You've got a roof or whatever. I mean, it's worth it to pay him to read that document because I can read it all day long and my eyes will bleed. <laughs> um, and, and I do read it. I still read it, but I, I want someone that's a professional that understands it better than me. And, uh, sometimes you're like, wow, I didn't know that was there. And, uh, it, it, you need that protection. If not, you can, you can live a life of work just to pay from a mistake. So a contract lawyer, not only for the real estate piece, but obviously you need a lawyer to develop your LOI and any contract of sale. Yeah. And just a side note on the, the property thing and, and Greg, uh, uh, said it very well on, you know, establishing and, and Dwayne both actually on, on understanding values and all that kind of stuff. But one really important piece that anybody looking to buy a business that also is selling the real estate with it is to understand the correlation of how the price of the building and the mortgage correlate to the rent factor in the business. Um, somebody can want a lot of money for a building and not a lot of money for the business. And, and if you, if you got to know how they work together, you can still make that deal work. It's really dollars and cents at the end of the day. 
Um, but you really need to understand, you know, have somebody advise you on, on how cap rates work. Um, there's commercial appraisal, which as Greg mentioned, it's, it's not, it's a little bit different process than a home appraisal in some ways. And uh, it's really important to watch how you, if you own an LLC that owns the property and, or you're going to be buying that building, um, how does your lease contract with your own business work and what are you going to need to make on that lease and triple net and all that kind of stuff? Really got to have an understanding how they work together or you can get burned on that too. Looks like we could do an entire show on real estate transactions and valuations. And, and you're right. Hey, a, a, a side question here, guys, you're really important to ultimately one day own the real estate. That is a controversial topic, Carm. Uh, <laughs> I am in the camp that says, no, that is not a requirement. Um, you know, ha, ha, when I moved to Colorado Springs, I worked at the busiest shop as a technician in town. Uh, we could not park on the parking lot. And now that same shop 23 years later is a ghost town. Uh, there's barely any cars there. It's in a really bad part of town. The whole town has shifted north and east. And I saw this owner. He's in his 70s. Super nice guy. Great guy. But he can't retire. Uh, he had put all his eggs in the basket of that piece of real estate thinking that was going to be his retirement. And now with the, the property, probably it just really isn't worth very much until the city decides to to revamp that part of town. So um, if he was on a lease, he could have moved his location to where the new part of town is. There's a lot of things he could have done um, and, and been in a much better position. So, you know, what, what he thought would work and buying real estate did not work the way he'd hoped to. And other times uh, it's great to own your real estate. So I think it's a case by case situation. Sounds like he should have been a multi-store owner there, Greg. That might have helped him out a little bit. Yeah, um, he, he was. He had two, and the other one was even in the more of the ghetto than this oh. one. So, I, I, yeah, I'm a believer that right that that the deal will dictate if you're going to own it or not. Because if in, in the end of the day, if you can make a good net if you rent it, do it. If you can make a good net if you own it, own it. it it's case by case. You know, we're split in the middle. Two are rented, two are owned. Um, it's nice to own it because you have leverage. You, you know, as you pay that down and you want to venture out, that, that's capital. You can use that. It's yours. You don't have to ask anybody for it. So there's there's a good thing there. But then it's also nice that if you rent it and and that area goes south on you, uh, like Greg says, you just pull up stakes and you move. So uh, there's a benefit to both. You need to be careful, but I think both can work. You just have to decide, can it be done? Thanks, guys. Okay, look at uh, I found my, uh, I, I, Greg said earlier, had lunch with my supplier. Um, wow. This guy down the road, uh, I think he's ready to get out. Do you uh, approach the current owner or do you have the tool guy approach him? How how does that down the aisle thing work, guys? Give us some clues here. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you just a brief story. I, I, um, after our, our last offer uh, was not accepted, we got back on the phone. And I'll tie a story real quickly to what you just talked about on the, on the real estate to make a point too as a joint story. Um, but I picked up the phone. There's a shop that we had kind of been eyeing, uh, me and my key leaders for some time. So I picked up the phone and I called the guy and I said, Hey, uh, this may sound like it's way out in left field. Um, by the way, you got to learn how to get through the front end, right? The filters, the advisors and the managers answering the phone, uh, used a couple creative strategies there, but got through to him. And I said, Hey, this may sound out in left field. Have you, have you thought about moving on from owning the shop? And he said, actually, yeah, we're in the process right now. I said, really, you have a buyer? And he said, no. After 32 years, my landlord sold the building out from underneath us and we have no home. So we're liquidating the business and I'm trying to find a new home for my staff. So just a thought, there is advantage if you uh, own the building, if you don't get a good lease contract. But 
I'll continue the story. Um, and so, you know, we, we called the guy and, and uh, he didn't have a plan. And, uh, and so it was interesting. Um, I think, you know, six months ago, a year ago, if we would have done the same thing, we might've been able to get a deal done, sign a long-term lease with his landlord uh, and do it. So, you know, certainly uh, talking to these owners that, you know, are uh, along in their tenure, um, just phone calls can, can go a long way. And something you can try and add into your lease is a first right of refusal. You know, basically you get offered the property first, so they can't sell it out from under you. And if, if they ask too much money for it, well, at least you're, no, you, you can start to work on it at that point. But uh, a lot of them, you know, we, we've added in ours. People will take it. So back to Dwayne, have you ever just picked up the phone? Did, did, did they contact you? What's your preferred method? I like it when they contact me. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's how I've done it. Um, one is, you know, they know you're, you're looking. Uh, our, our fourth store in Frederick, the guy had came to one of our car shows. He, he was an avid car fan, came to one of the shows. And I had met him, apparently. I didn't remember him, but uh, he, uh, he co-called me. Um, and, you know, I, I just laughed at him because, you know, he threw the magic numbers out there, what, what it was worth and what he wanted. And, and uh, once I dug in to what he really had, that I don't think he understood the gem he had sitting there waiting. Uh, I got interested, but yeah, I, I, I figured I put it out there and I try to get them to come to me or just have small talk with people, but I've never actually went and knocked on someone's door and says, give me your keys. I haven't, I haven't done that yet. Craig, what do you prefer? I'm a relational guy. And so, and I have uh, over the next 60 days, I'm probably going to have two lunches just like you're talking about. And it'll be set up by the vendor um, and just say, Hey, you know, Joe Schmo wants to go to lunch and just sit down and, and talk. Hey, what's, what's going on? What's your situation? One I know is a, uh, a really ugly divorce and you know, the guy, uh, wants out and I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's just a discovery lunch that will be set up by my vendor. Um, and you know, you just, if you're real with people and you ask them questions and you, they know that you're going to be fair. Um, you can usually get a good, honest conversation out of it. And like Dwayne said, you know, everybody thinks their business is worth X and sometimes it's realistic and sometimes it's out in left field and you just have to hold that poker face and say, okay, you want $2 million. I understand. Let's, uh, let's start looking at some numbers and see if it's really worth that. Um, without going, are you crazy? You do 700,000 a year <laughs> right. in business. What's yeah. wrong with you? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> don't, you know, don't play that card. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Our businesses, most of these people we're going to buy businesses have probably owned them for well over 20 years. It's, it's, it's like a kid to them. It's, uh, you know, they've poured their life into this. So treating that with delicacy and respect is a very important part of this. And you don't want to insult them. You know, if they want X and, and we know it's not realistic, uh, you know, which a good way to do it is say, you know, I, I, I want to help you come up with this. Let's go through the numbers and and let's figure out where it's at. And, and you know, it's like uh, they figure out, you know, wow, this takes away. This isn't good. You know, that way there's no hurt feelings and you can come to a more realistic number without getting defensive. Look up the uh, J-curve of change. Uh, I don't have a chance to go through the seminar here, but usually people hear about something and then it drops and then they get really depressed and they're not happy about things. And all of a sudden they work themselves way up and out of their situation. So to your point, Dwayne, when, uh, when, when you, you finally say, let's go over the numbers and in a very mature, logical way, as you look at the evaluation of assets and, and the NOI, 
of the business. And the person says, oh, my God, I want $2 million. He's offering me 500000 You know, you got to give that person some time to climb up and out and realize that what you, that your offer is probably, you know, apropos to what, what he really has. And so, Greg, you could probably uh, tell us with five five uh, equi- you know five branches that you've probably given enough time for an owner based on a an LOI that you have given time to uh, if you will realize it what it really means right we've made an offer on a store that I would still like to have in the family um, but it was about half what he was asking and he was a little bit offended and said how did you come up with this and I said well you know we did a business appraisal um, I had my accountant paid him a couple thousand dollars to go through the numbers and they run it through a formula. And a business can be valued in many different ways. So obviously I'm coming in on the low end, you know, and one of the things that they noticed on the, this kind of little trick that I learned uh, through that process um, is all the equipment was heavily, heavily depreciated, meaning this guy knew for a couple of years, he's looking at selling. So he had not replaced any equipment. So knowing going in, Hey, you know, there's lifts that are, 15 years old, the AC machine needs to be replaced. I mean, there was, he just did not upgrade anything knowing he was going to sell it. So that counted against him. And um, so he said, you know, no, I'm going to keep looking. And to this day, he still hasn't got what he wanted. And so I know that, you know, when I'm ready to go back and take another bite at the apple, you know, I could bump up my offer 150,000 and I may be able to get it. So I'm just, I'm patient, right? The, the person that's, that has the, the most to lose um, is going to, is going to run first. So I can just wait, and when I'm ready and he's getting older, uh, maybe a deal will still happen. But I, I'm just not in a hurry uh, to, to go get it. So I'm, I'm in the driver's seat. Great advice. Uh, patience. Uh, Brian, um, he, he, Greg is kind of talking about negotiations right here. Let's jump into that. Any challenges, anything you recently went through? Yeah, there is, uh, actually. <laughs> uh, Greg knows the story. But I, I saw it a lot of counsel in this particular recent offer. It was a, a substantially profitable business. Um, it was in a, an amazing location with real estate. So there's two camps in negotiation. There's the, and Greg and I talked about the, the, the philosophy of never splitting the difference, a book. Um, come in low, uh, expect, you know, if you're here and, and, and they're here on the asking price, expect to settle somewhere. Okay, so I saw a lot of counsel. One peer, one advisor, uh, gave some advice to me that was that ended up. There you go, right there, Dwayne. Yeah, good plug. Uh, one advisor gave counsel. He was the only one that gave this counsel. There's another plug, Dwayne. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Who told you about this those is the books, only Dwayne. advisor that gave this counsel. He said, Brian, I've never seen a deal increase in price after it's been agreed upon in price. Right. In so in other words, through the due diligence process, after you make an offer, he's never seen the price go up. So his philosophy was offer higher and then whittle it down during negotiations. So in my case, and I learned from this, um, I, I made an offer that was about 20% less than asking price on the building and the business. And after two weeks, I didn't hear anything. And they responded back with a full price uh, the, they responded back at full price. They counted at full price. And I thought to myself, what are they doing? Well, come to find out, they took it as a low ball offer. And I had to go through that whole process. And Greg's point earlier about, I mean, these owners have blood, sweat, tears. It's their identity. It's their livelihood. And and so um, so anyways, I ended up making an offer that ended up about 90, 90% of asking price. And it still wasn't accepted. And um, there's a point where it's like, it's like gambling. You know, if I just, if I double down, I might make my money back. Well, there's a point where you just got to stop. You got to execute your evaluation, 
execute your offer. And they said, come in at your highest offer. And I did, and it wasn't accepted. So I've got to be as, as frustrating as that is. And as discouraging as it is, you've got to stick to your guns. Um, but the point is, is that, that you can insult people. And so it's traditionally, if it's like a Craigslist ad for a TV, yeah, you might come in low and who cares? But on this, you're talking about substantial. This was, this was millions of dollars of a transaction. This is not chump change. And so, you know, it, it, you can, it's a delicate situation on both ends, both what I'm putting in the deal and how this seller feels about it. So I learned, I learned a little bit in that process. Love it. Thank you, guys. Uh, any uh, negotiation uh, challenges that you'd love to share, Dwayne, or advice to give? Sometimes, you know, when, when someone's trying to sell the business and the real estate together, you know, some things that an options you can have, you know, if it's if you're not comfortable buying it or if you don't have the, the assets at the time to purchase it, you, you can split it up. You can buy the business and put in the contract that you know, like five years down the road, then you can buy the property. Um, I, I've seen that. And I, I love uh, I love when. You know, you you got to ask. You know, owner financing. Will you, will you carry the note? And it's surprising how many people will tell you yes. And I'm like, that's a big risk. You know, to for for them. You know, for you, it's gold. You know, for them, it's a huge risk. But you, it's all negotiating. You know, if if they want too much for say the property, or, you, you can go back and forth. You just got to realize that everything's negotiable. You can do a, go a lot of different paths. It's it's not black and white. There's a lot of grays in there, and you can work your way through it to come up with a deal that works for both of you. But as Greg said, you have to be patient, and you got to let it mature on its own. Because if you rush it, you're going to pay top dollar and too much. Arm for uh, for our clients that we work with that are in acquisition mode, uh, we have a list that I give to them to get from the person they're trying to buy the shop from. And it's a pretty comprehensive list. And you talk about it's it's actually a negotiating tool because the people that have all the documentation right up front and can send it right over, you know they have a good solid business. And you're you're A, you know it's probably profitable because they are organized and they have things together. Um, and B, they know what they have. But most people that we send that list to, uh, it's overwhelming to them and they realize how much stuff they don't have. So that actually becomes a negotiating tool. Well, you don't have any standard operating procedures. You don't really have job descriptions. You know, you're you had to go to your accountant to get, um, you know, your financial statements from three, you know, that are three months past due. You can discover a lot in that process, and those all become negotiating tools or warning signs. Exactly. Exactly. So, I, I love what you just said, and it kind of lends itself to the next thing that I'd like to ask about, and that would be normalizing a P and L. Uh, you may get a three-month-old P and L, and now you need to sit down into your own spreadsheets, into your own pro formas, and and you need to say, you know, w- what's going on with the owner's pay and perks, and you know, is the is the is the beach house, you know, inside the P and L? Right. Uh, I know that never happens, but you know, you you have to do some real heavy the due floating office the, flo- the floating <laughs> office <laughs> the floating office i take clients there all the time it's it's the training center it's the right. training center out on the lake and uh, any any trouble uh, any experiences on normalizing a pnl and, and when i say normalizing just try to get their pnl as close to yours so you can see where the business may be headed yeah everybody that i've noticed um unless they've been in a 20 group or a group that <laughs> normalizes them like you say um they all run things differently different chart of accounts. So 
Um, I've looked at enough P&Ls in my career to be able to discern where money's going and say, hey, you know, why, why are the technicians and the service advisors all lumped into one payroll? You know, can you break that out for me? But if you don't, if you're not really educated and know P&Ls, um, it's probably wise to get some help from your accountant or another industry person that's, that really knows those and break them down. Because everybody does your chart of accounts a little bit differently. Um, and, and sometimes, like you said, you uncover the, the floating office or other perks that are in there. Um, and, and you know what, that's, that's a, the, the one positive thing about buying a business from a business broker is they've, they've actually done that homework for you. You know, they will break down what the real expenses are, um, what's inflated. Um, obviously they do it in a way to inflate the value of the business, but that I, I tell my clients too. Uh, Brian's had me, I've told him this, I've told some the other people in our mastermind group, just find a shop for sale from a broker. I don't care if you're really interested in it or not, sign the NDA and go through the process. And it's a great learning experience. You will learn a ton just by investigating, reading through their brochure, finding out you know why they think the business is worth what it is. It's a great learning experience. You know, that's a great point. Uh, a broker is going to do some of the legwork for you. Right. One, one thing I've you know, when you ask for the financial information, what I found is a big turnoff is when they send you back your point of sale information, thinking that that is their p <laughs> I've had it happen to me twice in not too long of a time. And I'm just like, and I would ask questions and they just, they just didn't know. And they're like, well, I need to get to my accountant. And I'm like, well, it's a P&L. You, sh- you hopefully, if you can't read that, I'm terrified of your business already. But that's, like I said, but that becomes negotiation. <laughs> If they're on a mm-hmm. prime corner um, that, you know, high traffic count, great demographic, they just don't know what they don't know, uh, you can capitalize on that. Great point. Great point. Okay. Let's, let's end this with a little a discussion on financing ideas, some creative financing thoughts, guys. I just want to, Brian, uh, you just went through an SBA thing. Yeah. This year, SBA changed the qualifications uh, for their landing on businesses. And uh, they changed it in January and then they kind of rechanged it in April. And um, I will say that every bank handles the SBA lending guidelines a little differently. Uh, some banks can lend with different parameters than other banks. So you, you need to you know, have a relationship with a couple of banks and look at the opportunities. But I'll give a drive-by of, of some of what I, what I think are really important. Um, traditionally, banks do not want to lend on a business acquisition. They just don't. So the SBA takes a lot of the risk out of that for the banks and they cover the portion that, that is not um, given as a down payment. So if you buy a business for a million dollars, what they're going to ask for now is probably uh, 10 to 15% uh, equity or down payment by the buyer and, and could be up to 25% depending on how attractive the business looks. Of that, they probably want the, the, the buyer to have at least 10% down and they will take 5 or 10% uh, from the seller to carry. What that means is that the seller will basically finance you as a buyer over several years. The SBA will probably ask that that buyer not get any payments, excuse me, the seller not get any payments from you, the buyer, for at least two years. And in some cases, they'll ask the um, seller to not receive any payments for the full life of the loan. So uh, I personally love having the seller with skin in the game. I love for them to carry some small portion of it because it gives them incentive to what I call finish strong. 
means they're not going to let this thing go to crap the last 60 days or 90 days before transition. They want that money and they want to, you want them to hand off to you a, a really strong business. Um, so it's called, usually it can be a, a 7A loan is the, the terminology, at least what's most common. And so be prepared to, to have 10% or 15% of whatever you're buying it for as cash or, or liquidity that you can put down or collateralize. Sometimes they will use assets in the mix, but um, depending on how strong they are, but most of the time they won't. Uh, Dwayne mentioned in an email that he did some conventional loans from a bank. I've not, I've not found any bank that will touch a business acquisition uh, with a conventional loan, anything less than probably 25% down. Uh, now, so so that's some some creative things, and then on the on the uh, building side, usually um, at the uh, uh, SBA uh, was it five hundred four? I think is the terminology for the for that real, real estate, estate side. Um, and on that, usually ten percent down, if your business is going to occupy that building, and then twenty percent down if your business is not going to occupy that building. So you can start doing some numbers. I mean, a, a million or two million dollar transactions, you're probably going to have to be coming up with. 150 to $200,000 down, which to the point earlier might be something to consider if you're, if you want to buy the building, maybe you can't because you don't have enough cash. That might be a situation where you buy the business, get a good lease contract on the building and then save your cash for, you know, future growth or working capital or whatever. Uh, so yeah, that, that's basic, basic guidelines, at least what I found in the SBA lending parameters. Do you guys have anything different on that? Uh, your knowledge? No, uh, no, I'm a, the, the SBA is a painful process. I've been through two of their loans, um, but it is. I mean, it's really, truly designed for a small business to grow. That's exactly what it's made for. If you're going to go SBA, I recommend a local bank, but one that also has direct lending capabilities um, and they can make approvals in-house. In-house. Uh, there's a lot of small banks that say, oh yeah, we can do SBA, but then they have to third party everything and the process is longer and the fees are more. Um, on one of the acquisitions I was looking at, I took all the paperwork in, took my financials and essentially got pre-qualified. Now, uh, I, I ended up not doing that acquisition yet. It's still on the market, but um, it, it, they made it much easier than the first two that I'd been through. Um, and just I want to be careful what I say here, but um, I am working with uh, a company that could do revolutionize the way uh, we can do acquisitions on the finance side. I've been working on a project for about a year or so as soon as I can be more public about that. But uh, there are there are people and there are large companies uh, considering that the industry is changing and that they need to get behind uh, good shops that can expand um, and putting some weight behind that. So as I, as I learn more about that, I'll be able to, to tell you guys more about that. But there's some pretty exciting things that could be available the next six months. It's financing. Yes. Cool. Yes. Good stuff. Uh, you know, you have an outlet here the day you would like to yes. spread, <laughs> spread that word. As soon as I have permission to share, I, <laughs> no I problem. Share Thank that. you so much. There's some, there are some really cool things. Um, and I, you know, you had said before the broadcast, you got some big projects. Uh, there are, there are people that know the future is drastically changing in automotive and they, they want to get behind their, uh, people that are doing things correctly. Hey, Dwayne, I'm going to let you end this with uh, your thoughts on financing and what you've used before. I'm definitely going to key off of what Greg said because I have not done an SBA. So at my, my bank has always said we have a better deal than that. Uh, go local, go community, and have a backup bank too in case they get sold. Right. Uh, <laughs> Good advice. But, but, but you, the community bank, 
does not have the regulations that the big national banks do. Uh, so they can drop the percentage of down payments. Um, what you also can do is once you have some successfully running shops and you own some property, you can cross collateralize uh, that asset where you don't have to come out of money if you don't want to. It's just an option. Um, but uh, doing that uh, can give you more opportunity. Say you want to buy the business and the property, but you don't have that extra $250,000 to put down for the property. You can tie it back to one of your other shops. You know, of course, you'd be smart about it, but it's a way of growing as long as you do it smartly. You know, you, you, you grow that way. But uh, uh, the, the, I think the bigger you get and the more uh, assets you have, the bank gets a little looser with you. Um, and plus you have that relationship, you know, I'm a firm believer. I'm, I'm very honest with my bank. If something's wrong or bad, I just tell them, but they're just the same with me. I, I'm lucky. I've been blessed. I have a, a great bank. We've, and it's a Freddie County bank, you know, it, it's my lo- local bank, community bank, and they've taken care of us for a long time. And, uh, you know, we're working on some things right now. And the first thing to come together on it was the financing. They, they stamped out the money right away. And it, it's, just, it's a significant number. Um, that's a relationship to have. But because you have relationship, because you have a strong business, because they 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 believe in you and your team and your your partnership, and uh, mm-hmm. so for so for anyone listening, that it's not a magic button you press, and all of a sudden the bank's there with bags of money. It, it's 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 a process. I want to say something on that just real quick. More businesses go out of business not because they're not profitable, but because they run out of cash. And so like when Dwayne was saying, you could, you know, can you write a check for 150 down payment or do you take that out of, you know, let them attach your property or something and pull, use the equity as collateral, preserve cash at all costs. Um, I know that a lot of people are afraid of debt, but I'm telling you, you want to have a good solid credit line behind you because there's, it's a minefield and you just don't know what you're going to run into and having access to $50,000 can make or break businesses and be able to make payroll and keep them in business versus not. So preserve cash at all possible avenues. Cash flow is king. Yes. Great advice, guys. Well, we couldn't have ended on a better note. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I want to remind the audience, go back and listen to Town Hall Academy 75. It's the perfect bookend for this discussion on acquisition strategies. In 75, we called it, am I ready for a branch store? And I think uh, we uh, we would help to, you know, bring a great conclusion to this uh, two-part dialogue. Thank you, Greg Bunch, Aspen Auto Clinic, Colorado Springs, and the CEO of Transformers Institute and Mastermind, and Dwayne Myers, Dynamic Automotive, Frederick Maryland, and Brian Sup out of Denver. Thank you so much, guys, for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.